Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Right, boys and girls, you know what time it is, and you should know who this is. I am Tyler Sheff, and I am the co-host. Wow, that's a mouthful. That's a co-host of the Cashflow Podcast. <laughs> sounds weird, doesn't it, Mike? Yeah, it does. <laughs> my, my other co-host with me, the other half of the Cashflow Guys team, Mike Marino. Hello. I'm back like that family relative that you hate. That's right. <laughs> the calm, yeah, they, I won't leave. <laughs> it's like, why won't he go? It's, <laughs> it's like that awkward time in the Zoom session. Like, okay, bye. Okay, bye. Nope, he's still here. That's right. It's like, <laughs> log off. I got to poop. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to break up first? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> How you doing, man? Life's good, man. I'm in uh, California today. All right. California. You're in New, New Jersey yesterday. My goodness. Uh, yeah. Flew from Jersey to California against the headwind. It was, it was a long night. I hope to God you're out there at some real estate meetings. I'm curious what the other half is doing in these nights. One of these days, you got to get you on one of these real estate meetings. But this week, guys, we're going to talk about multifamily misconceptions. And uh, I know it's a topic that you're well familiar with, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I had them all, all of them on this list. Well, yeah, and you also share a cockpit with a lot of them. That, I, Mike's privy to having some great conversations with fellow pilots in the air, and sometimes <laughs> you, there are misconceptions everywhere. Just like I, this weekend, I went to, I was at the International Mall going to the Apple Store. I was in town in Tampa for a couple of days, and I went to Larry Harbolt's. Um, I met with his his crew there at lunch. It was like, you know, I don't know, 30 people there at lunch, whatever. And uh, Larry introduced me as a cash flow guy, multifamily guy. And immediately people were like, oh, that's too hard. I can't raise the money. There's a lot of miss over the last couple of years. When we opened the fund last year, started talking to people, they were like thinking of big apartment deals and we're looking at, you know, a little bit different stuff and a lot of misconceptions that people didn't realize. And I know that, especially I learned that I know you did as well, because we talked about it on our webinars when we were having our one-on-one or actually our, they weren't really one-on-one, but we were having our FAQs and we were dialoguing with the folks that were on the webinar. And I don't know about you, but I learned a lot from that. Oh, yeah. We met some great people and really to understand how people think who right. aren't uh, engrossed in, in this market. Right. With those misconceptions, a lot of it comes down to financing. I know, Mike, you ran into this a little bit initially when, so we sold, I sold uh, Mike's house and then he's moved out to Colorado and he wants to get into a smaller multifamily out there. You've got your VA benefits and whatnot. And you hit some roadblocks right out of the gate. Well, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, I guess we'll start with a mental roadblock. So when I initially wanted to get in real estate, I thought of single family houses. And there's right. nothing wrong with that. There's a lot no. of wealthy people out there who have dozens, maybe hundreds of single family homes. But a lot of people have the misconception that you almost have to graduate to a fourplex, even a duplex. Right. But and and, and one of the things that holds people back is, well, fourplex that's a million dollars i can't qualify for a million dollars i can only qual- qualify for half a million for five hundred thousand. right so tyler when somebody tells that to you like oh fourplex is too expensive for me i can't qualify for that what would you tell them well first of all if you're looking at a fourplex let's say you're looking at a fourplex just for easy math let's say eight hundred thousand dollars and you think to yourself, well, I'll never qualify it to your what you just said i'll never qualify for 800 grand well mm-hmm. that's cool because you don't have to and people usually look at me like I have three heads. Ding, ding. What I mean by that is, you know, 800,000, that's over four units. You only have to qualify for the one that you're going to occupy. 
because the other three units will, the rent for those units will help you qualify for the mortgage. What do I mean by that? Well, in, in this case, we've got four apartments. So we take the $800,000, we divide it by four. So that means you really need to qualify for around a $200,000 mortgage, assuming that the other three units are rented appropriately. Okay. That's a hiccup, a little bit of hiccup for people right there. Like, well, but it's not renting for that. And they will stop right there and no longer do a deal. They'll just give up. Here's a little secret for you guys. When you use USDA, VA, or FHA, and I did that that way on purpose, you're like, USDA? That's who certifies my chicken. Well, they they do. That's part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That is what I mean when I say USDA. They have a mortgage guarantor program, just like FHA. It does require that you own or occupy for 12 months. Uh, just like the Veterans Administration does, the VA is a loan guarantee program that you have to occupy for 12 months. But after 12 months, you're free to do what you want. So if you're just getting started and on real estate and you got that little McMansion that we both know you really can't afford and you got your big fancy grill out back and your your pool that you got payments on and your solar system they talked you into and all the other BS that that you're spending in money, maybe it's time to sell that crap. Market's high anyway, so you might as well sell it. Get rid of it. Take the equity out of that. Use it as a down payment for one of these programs and move into a four unit because, or even a two unit. Because here's the thing. You can use a traditional residential mortgage to do a fourplex. And it gives you some street cred. Number one, it gives you the account of the, I can't believe you even need street cred, but because it really multifamily guys is multiply whatever units times the number. And then you go. Yeah. Well, a single family house is hard, is easy, but a multifamily is hard. Okay. Let's do that math. $100,000 single family house provided one ever existed anymore, which they probably never will. But let's say they did. Well, it rents for how much? 800. Great. So if it's a duplex and the duplex is 200,000, how much does a duplex rent for if it's the rent's the same? Um, um, 800 <laughs> times two. And you can take off your sock and use your toes if you want, but it's 800 times two. You're doing a hundred unit building. It's 800 times a hundred. That's how it shakes out, guys. Everything extrapolates out that way. And I know that And I'm, if you get blacked out by big fancy spreadsheets, I'm with you. Mike loves them. And he just gets all warm inside and he gets this beaming, shitty and grin on his face. I black out. I see spreadsheet. I'm like, oh, hell no. I want no part of this. But that's just me. That's my, one of my weaknesses, right? Mike, you're that guy that loves the spreadsheets. Uh, Here's yeah, the thing. Nerd. Yeah. These things are are not, they're very, very easy to finance if you use a bank. They're even easier to sell or finance. We'll get into that here later in the episode, but no problem qualifying for a mortgage provided you have decent credit. But here's the thing, seller financing and subject to, guys, I'm going to leave you to this topic, this section with this. Go fix your situation. If you've got bad credit and you can't qualify and you're only going to go do a bad deal with, with subject to financing because you're you got credit issues. Stop what you're doing. Take whatever money you're about to waste on an investment property that you're clearly not responsible enough to own and go pay off whatever debt it is and make good with, make nice, nice with the bank or wherever you owe money to. Pay off that stuff. Get clean because just because you have bad credit doesn't mean you won't qualify for a bank mortgage. All the bank really is concerned about is will these creditors come after this asset? And if the bills that you owe, and I said you owe victim, if you pay off the bill, victim, and do what you're supposed to do, victim, then nobody's going to be able to attach that debt, that bad debt to your asset, because guess what? There'll be no more bad debt. There's the record of the bad debt, but a mortgage underwriter can explain that away. This is where you actually get 
to wear your victim badge. You can say, hey, I was a dirtbag, but I pulled my head out of my backside and I paid off the debt. Yes, the record is there, but I'm pay- I am paid them. So there's no risk of this coming back and haunting you, Mr. Banker. See, Mr. Banker wanting to lend money because that's how they make money, understand this stuff. So stop believing that multifamily financing is hard because it's not. Yeah. And, and speaking of victims, VA, those who aren't aware, the veterans assistant, if you're a military veteran at all, you pay zero down. You could be a victim your whole life and spent your entire life savings. You have zero money down. FHA, what is that, child? Like three and a half percent down? It's ridiculous. Three and a half. Three now, and when a half. you say no money, for, let me interrupt there. One thing, though, no money down, true, 100%. But with the VA, if you're a vet and you're not disabled, you have a 1% funding fee. That's true, yeah. The, the, but they will finance that for you. So you don't have to come up with that money. They'll put they'll just wrap it into a loan. So you'll borrow the loan plus 1%. And then, of course, your, your closing costs. Now, closing costs can be negotiated that some of those can be picked up by the seller up to a certain amount. And you need to check with your mortgage broker to figure out what that is. It's different by loan product and it's different by jurisdiction. But you, those closing costs, a lot of them can be either absorbed by the seller and you can con- compensate. Well, why would the seller do that, Tyler? Because you're going to pay them a little more for the property. Hey, Mr. Seller, I got to pay five grand in closing costs. Can we add five grand to the purchase price and you pay the closing costs? Yeah. If they say yes, which it's, what do they care? Yeah. Then it, do it. The lender has to approve that. There, are, You do have to have some skin in the game like the FHA. You can't have the seller cover the three and a half percent and all that, but you can have, have them cover the closing costs. Yeah. So these products, the VA, FHA, USDA, you have no excuse not to get a multifamily house then. You don't have That's to put right. your 20% down on, on the million anymore because you, right. these products are available only up to a fourplex, which is kind of why we like the fourplex idea. <laughs> there is a catch. And I, I think we need to tell them that there is a catch. And the thing in the catch is that you have to occupy it for one year. Yeah. Now I can spend the next 30 minutes and it's very easy for me to do so getting on my soapbox to talk about that. But here's the thing. Chances are, if you own a property and it's fancy, like I was saying a minute ago, and you got the pool and all the trampoline and all the other bullshit that you don't need, you really can't afford to live where you are. You're just trying to impress your friends. Let's be honest, your neighbors, your kids, whatever it may be. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. You're trying to impress somebody. Stop being a knucklehead because owning a bunch of crap doesn't impress anybody. Being financially free, that's impressive. That's super impressive. My assets are what allow me to exist in Key West, Florida, the most probably one of the most expensive places in the world to live. But the bottom line is, guys, all of you can do this. All of you can do this. You take a little step down, make a change in your pace, and get onto that multifamily and get started with it. Mike, let's talk about complexity because I think that's that's the next thing. And this was one for me initially. I was like, man, that's that's hard. Complexity. We touched on this a minute ago about multiplying things, but I get blacked out with spreadsheets. You love spreadsheets. What do you say to the person that's like, it's just too hard. There's too many moving parts. It's simple. It's it's first grade math. Income minus expenses minus debt service equals your profit, what you get in your pocket. How I think of it is this way, right? The first of the month, you get your rent check. Where's the money going to go from there? going to pay insurance. It's going to pay your debt service, which is like your loan payment, your principal and interest. Uh, the water, electric, if that's not something the tenant has to pay for, work that money all the way down. Just think of your daily expenses right now. Where would that money go? And then at that's the right. end, that's your profit. If you got a fourplex, just multiply by four. People say, they'll say underwriting is takes a certain level of sophistication. And this is like the realtor that adds a bunch of designations behind a bunch of acronyms behind their name. I am Tyler Chef, Realtor, PDQ, XYZ, CCIM, da, 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 da. Mike's signature doesn't say Airbus, whatever model or what your 
jet rating is or instrument rating. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, underwriting is analyzing a deal. People tend to put fancy words on things that are not, don't need to be fancy in the first place. It's, you just nailed it. Income minus expenses equals cash flow. Yeah. The end. Yeah. And honestly, when you go to a mortgage broker, say, I've got this fourplex, they're going to help you out because for them to do the underwriting, to make sure you, that the tenants and you can pay their mortgage, they're there to help you. Because now they That's understand right. you're not just buying a house for uh, for granny. <laughs> you're actually buying income property. So they need to know the numbers. They will help you know the numbers. Uh, matter of fact, I was at my uh, my banker's office like last month. He literally spent 45 minutes walking through step-by-step how their underwriting department at Bank of Colorado will underwrite my deal. That's cool. Yeah. And so now you have a better feel about it. I have a better feel about it because I said I'm looking for multifamily deals. All of a sudden, I wouldn't say they put me on a pedestal, but they understand that, okay, Mike can understand this language. Let's talk about how we do it so you can do it. That's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. That's good to know. At the end of the day, guys, it's only as complex as you want it to be. You know, there's a new book out now and I have to, I'm, in full disclosure, it's literally sitting on my desk. I showed it to Mike today, put out by Jay Scott. And I, I'm not recommending the book yet because I haven't read it, but I will say this. I've read every other book Jay Scott's ever written and it's been very good. He's an author that publishes his books through bigger pockets. It's called Real Estate by the Numbers. Again, this is not an endorsement, not a sponsored episode. I have not even, I've only got through the introduction. I am going to be reading that. This might going to be my current read. And as I will bring it up, it, maybe we'll get Jay on the, uh, Jay Scott on the show and we'll interview him about this thing because if it's anything like the rest of his books, I'm sure it's going to be pretty good. But by the way, but by the way, a footnote: everybody wonders why how Tyler knows all this stuff, right? Because you've had well, this is like podcast number four hundred or whatever. He constantly reads. Yeah, you see his library <laughs> yeah, constantly <it's> reads. <laughs> For a guy you'd think would be at Sloppy Joe's all day, he might be at Sloppy Joe's, but he's actually reading in the corner. <laughs> That's right. I have Kindle app on my phone, so just leave me alone. <laughs> you may think I'm on Facebook, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm reading. Um. I do enjoy reading because I'm, you know, at the end of the day, it's the only way I can, it's the best way I can learn. I get too distracted with YouTube and the other means. So I read. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sit in my little office over here on front street in Key West where I don't even, can't even see outside and there's no distractions and I'm just doing my thing. So yeah. And it's rubbed off on me too. It, make, it makes a big difference. So anyway, guys, there's so much information out there. Just pick up some books and read, pick it up. Sometimes I reread like my highlights on Friday just to keep it fresh. But cool. uh, another thing, so, you know, I talked about my meeting with the banker, right? I said, I want this particular fourplex in, in Colorado. Hey, this is the pro forma I got from my broker, my realtor. These are the rent rolls. I brought that in thinking that it'll be easier for the bankers to underwrite the deal just from these simple rent rolls. Now, Tyler, you've dealt with buyers and sellers and mortgage brokers with that. Does that make a difference if I bring that in? I'm going to answer that one with a, a maybe. And here's the deal. the the A lot of the times the information you get from the brokers or the sellers is pro forma, which is the estimate of what it can do. It's not a reflection of what it will do. I'm probably the only broker around that uses actuals. So much so, I think I'm going to stop doing it because it confuses people. They're not they don't know what to do with fact. Mm. They think my numbers are not actual, that they're pro forma because every other but it, Broker uses pro forma, which is an estimate of what it can do. So they look at mine like, oh, well, it'll do much less than this. No, this is what it actually does. (laughs) I'm just trying to be transparent. So yes, it does help them get an idea of the concept. But guys know this, they're going to have an appraiser come in and double check all this. The appraiser is going to look at things like, they're going to look to calculate gross rent multiplier. And gross rent multiplier basically is a factor they use using the fair market value rents for apartments in the area. They're going to come up with that, the GRM number, and they're going to they're going to factor that into use that against your property to see what fair market rent is for yours. So what you'll find is that brokers and sellers will tell you that, oh, well, it, it rents for, these things rent for nine 
$300 a month now, but you know, if you just sprinkle some pixie dust on them, they'll rent for $1,500. Well, the reality of it is they probably won't. They might rent for $1,100, $1,200, but the question you really have to ask is how much am I going to have to spend to get them there? Underwriters know this because an underwriter's job is to look for risk and then mitigate the risk in the terms of the loan or simply just say, pack sand and send send you down the road. So with that said, keeping that in mind, learn and you can Google search how to calculate gross rent multiplier. It's not hard. Learn how to do that math. It's very easy. Or use a, a situation or a, a software like Property Analyzer or any sort of one of those spreadsheets. And I think that will help you get that basic information. It's very, very easy. It's, it's basically doing a market analysis from a rent perspective. And that will help you figure out what fair market rent is. So when the broker gives you some pie in the sky number, you don't even have to scoff at it. You can just say, yeah, nah, 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 I can't hear you because I know that it'll rent for 1100 and I got to spend 20 grand on the apartment to get it there. So when a broker yeah. gives you the rent rolls, do you, do you ask for the actual leases to like verify it? I do. And I like to stack them side by side. Now in the dude up front before I, when we're still courting, I don't because that's asking for a lot of information early on in the deal. Mm-hmm. I will write an offer based on what they've provided me. And then in my due diligence phase, I will take that that pro forma and I'll request a copy of the leases in the due diligence phase. And then by what I mean by that is we are under contract at this point. Once we're under contract, one of the terms of the contract will be that the, the seller turns over the actual leases. I will take those actual leases. I will line them up next to the pro forma or the, the what the broker provided me is what the income number is and look for discrepancies. I know there's going to be discrepancies. I guarantee you there's going to be discrepancies. The question is, can you live with those discrepancies or not? Is it now turn selling turn into a bad deal? And if it is a bad deal, say no and walk away. Or talk to the broker and say, guy, you told me that the thing rents for $1,500 a month. It rents for $500. That's a big reach. You know, I hate to be one of those guys that retrades, but I, I that's just too big of a gap. I mean, if you were told me we were 10% over or something like that, I could live with that. But we're just miles apart. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to pass. And what they'll probably do they say, wait, 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 don't go. Let's figure this out. To me, that's not a retrade at all. If now, if you're going into that, I don't want to get all on the topic of retrade. I've got episodes on that. You can search that on my, our podcast player, but just do the right thing is what I'm going to say. Don't use these things as tricks. Don't try to trick people into, because that's, that's where it gets to be shady business. But when you write your offer, you're using the rent rolls and then due diligence, you, you try to back it up and then work right. it from there. I'm going to assume for the purpose of underwriting, when I send you, because guys, my job at the fund is I go out and I'm the the hunter gatherer. I go out and find the <laughs> deal. I negotiate it. I get all the stuff that we need. I'm the, I'm super skeptical of everything. So I will, which is good because I'm the first line of, of offense, I say for the fund. And then when I'm satisfied, I will go send that information over to Mike. And then he plugs it into his fancy spreadsheets and tells me what we can pay. And then I will take that and usually ignore it and then knock a hundred grand off of it and start negotiating or two. Cause I, that's, I like the thrill of the hunt. If Mike says, Hey, then we can pay this. Let's say if it's, I don't know, million dollars, I'm going to go in and try to get it for six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars depending on where it's priced. So I will use that as reasonable belief. Hey, John, the broker, based on what you're telling me here, if these numbers are true, we should be able to pay 800,000 for this or 900,000 for this or 950. I see your price at a million. We can pay 950. But keep in mind, John, if we find there's wild discrepancies between what you gave me and what is actual, we may have to have a different conversation. So now is a good time to tell me, is there a big discrepancy? And here's the thing. A smart broker or seller will tell you, well, that's pro forma. Okay. If you can give me actuals, what can I feasibly expect on in year one? 
Now we can have a more realistic conversation. I think that's going to lead you to a better situation. And that's also going to make things easier for your, your lender because they're going to believe in the deal. If the lender believes in you, but more importantly, believes in the deal and your management team, then you're going to have a hell of a lot easier time getting financing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Speaking of financing, Mike, seller financing, people at the Larry Harbaugh thing last week, they, people just want to cash out. Everybody I talked to just wants to cash out. What are your thoughts on that? That the sellers want the cash? Two years ago, when interest rates were super low, what, two and a half percent? Yeah. It, it was harder to talk to anybody about seller financing because there was cheap money out there. But we all know Things have changed. Now the the banks are charging what, like six to seven percent this week. I know it's always changing every week. Yeah, it's a moving target. I get up trying to catch it. It it is. So, but now this is seller financing season. So a lot of people with um what's the difference between multifamily and single family as far as the seller sophistication? Multifamily is generally they're they're more in tune with tenants, they're more in tune with different ways to finance. So if you mention the word seller financing or, or holding a note. Sometimes you say holding a note because softer. <laughs> right. Much they're, softer. More, they're more apt to, to understand that. And when the other thing with that too is I'm talking about talking to the sellers. If you're talking through a broker, you have to make sure that broker understands the benefits to seller financing for the seller. Not right. for me, because everyone thinks that I'm just a, a broke ass if I say the word seller financing. But exactly. if the broker understands because they have to negotiate for me now because I can't talk directly to the seller. But in general, multifamily landlords are more apt or kind of more open-minded to those ideas because for the most part, they probably did it themselves in their larger deals. That's right. Very rarely in all the years I've been doing this, I've ever found a seller that needed 100% of the money on closing day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unless they've got something under contract that they're paying cash for. But here's the thing, man. I don't know. I don't know any multifamily investors that pay cash for diddly bop. I mean, we just paid cash for that that big place that we're doing in Tarpon Springs. And people are like, what about that, Tyler? I can leverage that cash back out in a New York second. Oh, yeah. We already did. I've already had people cash out with 150 grand equity. Yeah. There's people are begging me to put money into the deal. You know, they want to lend on that. I'm like now nah, yeah. we're good right now. We're good. We're just going to go raise more money to do because we're getting into going to the next phase. Those listen, we're going to the next phase. We're going to start getting into construction and the permitting and whatnot. We got some exciting plans. So if you haven't talked to us in a while, you thought you were on the fence before about getting involved with cash flow guys and uh, dealing with and get involved in our investment opportunities. We have a cash flow property that's come that we already own and we're getting ready to do some major improvements to it. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be basically like a co-living type situation is our initial plan. And we'll stay tuned for more on that because we're in the due diligence phase of that concept to make sure we're legit with the city and we're talking with the contractor and all that but it's we're gonna it's it's exciting it's very very exciting we got a home run deal we're just excited about now we've got a long way to go to get it to the final end so I don't have numbers or anything like that yet sorry to get off topic but I'm excited about it I wanted people to get on the phone and start talking to us about it so go to cashflowguys.com get on the phone let's have a conversation we can tell you what we're up to and bring you up to speed you'll know what we know and as we know inf- more information we can send you an email and keep you up to date put you in our, our uh, database and go from there. So anyway, I'll shut up about that. No, no. One of the things, mm-hmm. Mike, that people talk about a lot, that they think that multi, multi-family people are more sophisticated, get it. But that doesn't mean they don't have, you know, that they say to me that, well, they're sophisticated, therefore they don't have the problems that single family landlords and sellers have. <laughs> they just have different problems. Yeah, they bigger ones. <laughs> <Times four. laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it, it's different problems. You know, those who just deal with single family, they're looking at uh, foreclosures. They're looking at, uh, you know, grandma, grandpa is moving into a nursing home. That's a big thing right now in Colorado. Um, but with multifamily, they've got to deal with tenants. Yep. 
And I hate to say it, but you know, those who bought a duplex, maybe it's their first time investing. Maybe they didn't pick the right tenant. So now they've got a tenant who's their next door neighbor, who's playing music all night long. They just want to get them out. There's there's like a a billion ways of why people would want to get out of that. But multifamily sellers absolutely have problems. Absolutely have problems. And, you know, matter of fact, Tyler, one of my favorite stories with you is that you lived in your fourplex. That's right. Down Tarpon Springs. So you literally had to live right next to your tenants. Well, I can tell you, though, that in itself presented a problem, but not the kind of problem you'd think. We turned that into a cash cow. But we were occupying one unit because we had the residential requirement because we used the VA mortgage. And we were still there after four or five years. What we realized, Mike, and the one lesson here, I'm going to get into the second story in a second before we wrap up. But what we realized is we were in the way of our profits. It was cool for the first year while we were doing renovations and getting things sorted and whatnot. It all made sense. But after that first year, we were blocking ourselves from profit because we were consuming the asset. So guys, don't get yourself caught with that. And what Mike's talking about, about uh, getting to know your tenants and, and living next door to your tenants, here's the thing. You should always lease up your property as if you're going to live next door to them. You know why? Well, the answer is obvious because you obviously want to going to do a better job finding tenants if they're going to be your neighbors than you will if they're if they're not if they're out of sight, out of mind. Your tenants, just because they're out of sight, will not be out of mind. That I assure you. <laughs> so when I apply that to all the other properties we've had since then, and the deals we've done since then, and all the future deals we plan on doing, I look at every single tenant as: Is this someone that I'd want to live next door to? And if the answer is no, then they're not going to rent for me. And a lot of that, guys, comes from affordability. What we find is that folks that have a tough time affording the rents are going to be a problem tenant. They're going to start yeah. picking the place apart to deflect some of that guilt from them. So do a good job qualifying the tenants. Yes, Mike, we sat out by the fire pit and drank beer on a regular basis with our tenants. And they were, I guess you'd say, friends of ours. Now, did we go have activities outside of the compound, if you could, if you will? No, we didn't go to dinner and things like that. But they felt guilty even thinking about paying the rent. Frankly, it made me a better landlord because I felt guilty not taking care of anything. And I maintained the property while Jill and I are crazy anal retentive anyway. We like stuff. I, I have a, guys, I have a sidewalk, dirty sidewalk fetish. I, I can't stand a dirty <laughs> sidewalk. So I do. I pressure wash my sidewalks every three months. I, I have it done every three months. I can't stand it. But um, I like things. My wife likes things very clean, everything in its place, everything well-maintained, no broken, rotten, nothing. That's just no way. And if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you've got tenant problems, I bet I could go to your rental property or look it up online and tell you in five minutes or less why you have tenant problems. Yeah. I'm not doing a good job maintaining the property. Matter of fact, but uh, a few weeks ago, you and I were driving around Florida. Yep. And just by driving around, we can find, we can see what problems each of these multifamily sellers are having. Amen. Good point. So, matter of fact, it's on YouTube. We put it on uh, Cash Flow Guys. Just type it in on YouTube and you can watch a video of Tyler and myself driving through these neighborhoods and we're pointing out exactly the problems we're seeing. One just went out yesterday about uh, satellite dishes. That's That's one of my favorite ones that that Tyler pointed out. I had no clue. Just by looking at satellite dishes, you could tell a lot about who's living there and the problems that that potential seller may have. So just by driving through a neighborhood, looking on MLS listings, you can... You can discover a lot of problems that you can't normally find like in a single family market where the problems are a bit different. In multifamily, they're usually a more uh, out in the open. So go to YouTube, cashflowguys.com. You can watch some of these drive-thrus that, that we're talking about. 
I'm excited about that series that we're putting together. And guys, we're, we're going to be dripping those out over the next coming weeks. We've got a lot of them sitting in editing. Some of them are still sitting in my cell phone that I haven't sent to the team to be edited yet. You know, that good stuff. But they're, for the lack of a better term, open the kimono type stuff, guys. You can get learn everything you need to learn by heading, heading over to our YouTube channel. Listen to this podcast. We'll give you all the information, nothing to hide. There's no bill or surprise gimmick coming in like that. It's flat out open kimono. And I should probably start every time I think open kimono, Mike, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fantasy fest in Key West. So I was going to say, I'm I know extra sensitive to that. It's like, oh God, because <laughs> there's no kimono happening here in Key West right now. Yes, guys, I am wearing pants for the record. I'm fully dressed and I, and I remain that way. But the, most of the people in Gun Island and Key West right now are not on the same wavelength. They are running around frolicking and naked. And you can imagine how well that could go and how wildly wrong that could go. So we'll go yeah. ahead and wrap it up right there, Mike. Um, I'm really looking forward to having you on more episodes. This makes uh, the, the whole process of podcasting a lot more pleasurable for me. Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners are getting a lot of value of too, because they get to not only hear, hear from me and they should be sticking that by now, but they also get to hear from you. And I'm excited that you get to share all that knowledge that you have up there in your brain with them. And uh, it's going to be great. So yeah. Lots of good stuff, guys, coming. You got to pay attention to what's happened in the market around you. You got to get over, overcome these misconceptions, work through them. These are the things, limiting beliefs that are going to hold you back and keep you where you are right now. If you're not happy where you are, make the changes and make them now. See you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.